0: Let's, let's look to God in prayer. Thank you, Lord God, for the opportunity to share together your word. We pray that your spirit would anoint these words. We thank you for your presence among us, and that as we look into your word, our lives are transformed and changed as we learn to live and love like you lived, Lord Jesus. Amen. This morning we have the opportunity to embark on a series of sermons, of just a brief series of four sermons, on two Thessalonians. It was a year ago that we looked at the first letter of Thessalonians, and now we consider the second letter. And these letters were written by Paul and his colleagues and his church planting partners. Uh, partners, uh, Silas and Timothy, while Paul was in the city of Corinth, and as he was working and planting the church there, he writes the letter, "The Letters to the Thessalonians." And they were written about AD 50 or '51, which is about 15 years after he had that dramatic encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. He encountered the presence of Christ on his way to Damascus and these letters then were written to encourage the believers to share the good news with the believers there at Thessalonica and to address the problems that were in this young church. And as uh, you may be aware, just to mention that you can fill in the The blanks on the inside your bulletin under message notes, or you can fill in the blanks or take additional notes uh, as um, we look at this sermon. So you might ask, well, where is Thessalonica? Well, you see that it's a it's a seaport up on the up on the top. uh, It's a seaport similar to, to Corinth and it is part of the Roman province of Macedonia. You see Italy there on the, on the left, and then the, um, what is today would be uh, Macedonia and Herzegovina and the, some of the other uh, countries, uh, and uh, uh, we still have the city of Thessalonica uh, today. As I think it's pronounced a bit differently, but you, one can go to visit that particular city in today's time. So this city had a large and thriving commerce and, and was, uh, it, w- it was an important city and it was the main seaport for that province of Macedonia. For, and so it was a, an urban h- hub for that entire area. So it certainly was a prime city in which Paul had to plant a thriving church. It was certainly an opportunity that Paul had to plant a church in this wonderful metropolitan area, this cosmopolitan center of activity. Luke talks about planting this church and he writes the story of the spirit who is at work in this city as the church was being planted. And he gives us some valuable information as about Paul and his colleagues as they are involved in working there in Thessalonica. And on his second miss- missionary journey, he went from Antioch to the city of Troas and then to Philippi and then on to Thessalonica. And as Paul as Luke writes this story about Paul. We find this in Acts 17, 1 to 9. And I've asked my wife, Anna Nault, who I asked her to read the passages this morning. So she will be reading from Acts 17, 1 to 9. That's on the screen.
1: When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said, Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas, in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go.
0: Okay, thank you very much, Anna. So the city of Thessalonica was a free city, which meant that they did not need to pay, uh, pay taxes to the, the Roman government to pay tribute to Rome but they were expected to, to have a culture or to uh, encourage honor for the Roman emperor. And they did have a high degree of independence in the way they governed the, governed the city. But as I said, they were expected to give homage and, and to respect greatly the emperor of Rome. And as a result then of this uproar and this riot that came as a result of the the um, Jews, the one part of the Jews, one group of Jews who fomented a riot, as a result of this riot, Paul needed to leave and to leave quickly under the cover of darkness. So he did not have the opportunity to say goodbye and to say so long and to, to wish them well in their work and in their ministry of planting the church. And Paul was unable to go back then to this church that was planted in Thessalonica. He was just not able to do that because of the attitude of the Jews and that he would be, he would be captured. And so Paul writes to the believers that he wanted to see them again, but he was hindered. As he says in one Thessalonians two eighteen, we wanted very much to come to you, and I, Paul, tried again and again, but Satan prevented us. So, as Paul reports in chapter three of the first letter, he sent Timothy to find out how they were doing. He fe- he sent Timothy to to give a report from how the church is coping, and how the church is faring as a newly planted church. And now he has heard the report from Timothy that they are enduring and dealing with intense persecution. So Paul became aware that they needed to be encouraged as they faced this severe and this intense persecution that was going on. He wanted to encourage them and to build them up and so that they do not throw in the towel, so that they do not give up on their faith. So this Sunday and the next three Sundays, we will have the opportunity to listen in, listen in on what Paul is saying to the sisters and brothers at Thessalonica. All these centuries later, We can profit by and be encouraged by the counsel that Paul gave to the believers at Thessalonica. And we can focus on what Paul is saying. And now we'll just focus on a few verses here at the beginning uh, in verses 3 to 12 of two Thessalonians. And again, Anna will read that scripture that's on the screen.
1: We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring, All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you, because you believed our testimony to you. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling, and that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of God and the Lord Jesus Christ.
0: Now, in the beginning of the first letter of Thessalonians, Paul commends the believers. He commends them for their faith and their hope and their love. Here in this second letter, he does not commend them for their love instead he commend or for their hope instead he commends them for their love and that their love for each other is growing and growing in the midst of persecution they are continuing to grow in their love for each other but the reality of hope is missing conspicuously missing in this part of the commendation of his letter and the reason it's missing is because he needs to help them understand and has some correction to offer to them about the Christian hope. It's a topic that he needs to address in this the second letter because there were lingering questions that these church members, these believers had about their understanding of what Christian hope is. So the goal for this letter is to address these questions and also to clear up their misunderstandings about Christian hope. And Paul encourages them in 1 Thessalonians 3.12, And may the Lord make your love for one another and for all people grow and overflow, just as our love for you overflows. So here he writes in this letter how excited he is that their love for each other is is growing and how it continues to grow. He's thankful for their growth in love that has taken place in this newly planted church. He rejoices in that his prayer that he expressed in the first letter, that his prayer for them is being answered, that God has blessed them in this way. And so he exalts in their growth and in their love for one another, for their other believers in the congregation. In fact, according to verses 7 and 8 in the first letter of uh, the first chapter, Paul boasts not only to the other churches in Achaia and Macedonia about their growth in faith, but also to the other churches in the region. So one can almost feel... The enthusiasm of the apostle, as he's sitting there in Corinth and reflecting and writing this letter to the church at Thessalonica. One can almost feel the enthusiasm and giving a thumbs-up sign and giving a praise and glory to God for the growth that they have experienced in, in the church, in the congregation. A yes to God for the success of this church plant. Many churches, the plants do not survive. Here, Paul is excited that this church plant indeed has survived and is thriving. And one of the key characteristics of a growing church is they have love one for another. And that's how others, as we sing about, will know that we are Christians by our love. And then in the end of this section, in verse 11, he includes a prayer and he says, so we keep on praying for you asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. So in this prayer that he prays he is praying that God will make them fit for the call of God, for God's call. They can't do it themselves, but that God, by the Spirit of God, will transform them and make them fit for the call that God has placed upon them. That God will give them the power through the Lord Jesus Christ to live a life of victory and to accomplish <clears throat> those things that God is calling them toward. As you're probably aware, Christians are being persecuted today in today's time. It's not only, it's not only in the time of Thessalonica, in the time of Paul, but there's an average of 180 Christians who are killed for their Christian faith each month. The United States Department of State reports that Christians in more than 60 different countries face persecution from their government because of their belief in Jesus Christ. North Korea is one of those countries. In fact, if one is a Christian in North Korea and the government finds out that one is contact with South Korea or with missionaries in China. Those, or one has a Bible, they have been known to be executed as a result of of that. So persecution is not just a problem that took place back in the time of the Apostle Paul. So the Apostle Paul is encouraging the believers to realize that in the midst of persecution, God empowers them. In the midst of persecution, they need to continue to persevere and to remain faithful to God. And Paul assures them in verse 7 that God will bring rest and relief from their suffering, that one day, one day, the tables will be turned and God, the righteous judge, will bring vindication that God will put an end to that, and that God has indeed not forgotten about them. So, we've listened in on this introductory session, this introduction to what Paul describes to the Thessalonians. So, how can we apply this in our day? How do we, what some scholars call the hermeneutical bridge, How do we cross the bridge from that time, from that society, from that time to our day? And to the experiences that we have in a very different culture and a very different context. Number one, God empowers believers to remain faithful and to live a life that is fit for the call of God. They could not do this without the power of God. Paul was busy boasting about their faithfulness of the believers to the other churches, not only to where he was, but even throughout the other provinces. And yet, the power came not from themselves, but the power came from the Spirit of God. And even though this young church was experiencing intense persecution. And even though they had fomented, the one group of Jews had fomented a riot, and so that Paul needed to leave, yet they were remaining faithful and their love for one another was continuing to grow, which Paul uses as a very important marker of whether a church is thriving or not. And as Paul says in verse 11, so we keep on praying for you, asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. So then he says once again, may he give you the power to accomplish all the good thing your faith prompts you to do. And again, let me emphasize, notice where the power comes from. It's not from themselves, but it is from God. Secondly, the church, in either today's time or in the time of the Apostle Paul, the church believers are not exempt from intense persecution. David Ebert, a Bible scholar, Mennonite brethren tradition, in his book, Then Comes the End, says, quote, We are ill advised to hold out the hope to the church that before the night of this age gets too dark, Christ will take us away from the trials of life. Missionary David Adney, who has spent half a lifetime in Asia, observes that when tribulation came upon the, upon the church in communist China, it was caught off guard. This was because missionaries in China had taught them that the church would be spared per- persecution and tribulation. And then he says, any interpretation of biblical prophecy that exempts the church from persecution or tribulation should be rejected. End of quote. So as we are faithful, and as we continue to be faithful to God, we should expect and anticipate persecution. Now that doesn't mean that we invite persecution upon ourselves, but it means that we will not be surprised when persecution comes. And therefore, it's incumbent, and I would encourage us to prepare for a time of persecution by developing the habits of the spiritual disciplines and by rooting ourselves deeply into the presence of Jesus Christ. By prayer and by fasting and by Bible study and by committing portions, chunks of, of portions of scripture in, into memory. Some years ago when Willard Swartley, a former professor at Associated Mennonite Biblical Seminary or what is now Anabaptist Mennonite Biblical Seminary retired from teaching the scriptures or he's now retired and some years ago he had a heart attack. And he, he states while he was ill, in the aftermath from that heart attack and in the, in the hospital, that he relied on the scriptures that he had committed to memory to give him strength during those difficult and those dark days as he wasn't sure whether he would recover or not. He relied on the scriptures from memory. That is what we need to do as we too anticipate the difficult days in our own lives, or as we may anticipate, persecution that comes from without. Thirdly, the third takeaway according to this scripture, a great divide will be coming. In verses 7 and 8, and God will provide vests for you who are being persecuted, and also for us when the Lord Jesus appears from heaven. He will come. He says, with his mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God and those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. And then he says, and when he comes, he will receive glory from his holy people, praise from all who believe, and this includes you, for you believe what we told you about him. So those experiencing persecution will see relief when the coming of the Lord Jesus returns. When he will come, the writer says, Paul says, with a flaming fire and will bring eternal judgment, they will be separated forever and ever from the presence of God. Those who do not live in a relationship with God. In fact, Paul says they will be punished with eternal destruction forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. Some persons believe in universalism and that in the end, that everyone, that all will be saved. This scripture, this passage, poignantly refutes that assertion. Instead, Paul says, when Christ returns, he will be glorified by the saints, He'll be glorified. Those who have a relationship with Jesus and are expecting Jesus to return will be glorified by the saints. But those who do not have a relationship with Jesus and do not obey the gospel will be, Paul says, will be forever separated from the presence of God, from the presence of Jesus. Jacob Elias says, quote, "Depending on their relationship with God, people respond, will respond to God's majesty with terror or worship." End of quote: Respond to God's majesty as a return of Jesus by either terror or worship." So I say in this takeaway, That there is a great divide coming, a great divide. The last takeaway is that the believers who were suffering persecution did not need to take revenge into their own hands. Paul says to the Romans, Dear friends, never take revenge, leave that to the righteous anger of God, for the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Recall the story in the Old Testament when Abraham was bargaining with God for Sodom and whether God would destroy Sodom or not. And finally, he he said, God, if there are so many righteous and he keeps bargaining down and down and down, so only there was a few righteous that God would spare Sodom. And then Abraham said to God, Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Therefore, when we suffer even unjustly, there is no need to take vengeance into our our own hands. There's no need to take vengeance into our own power. But we leave that. We leave the vengeance and the justice to God the judge of all the earth shall the judge of all the earth not do what is right. It was Peter, the Apostle Peter, wrote to the congregation that was also about to go through difficult times of persecution. And he told them to follow the example of Jesus. And he said, He did not retaliate when he was insulted, he didn't threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges justly. In the midst of persecution, God empowers believers. And even though we have nations in our world where the persecution of Christians is taking place on a significant scale... We, as sisters and brothers in Christ, we, as believers, do not need to fear. And at the right time, God will send Jesus. One of these days, one of these times, and we're told not to set the date. Even the son doesn't know the date. But one of these times, Jesus will return. Jesus will return with his mighty angels. Then there will be rest for those who will be going through and are going through intense persecution at that time. We are called, my sisters and brothers, not to take things into our own hands. But instead, we are called to turn them over to God and to commit our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, who will help us continue to remain faithful as we anticipate and expect persecution. May we, as kingdom people, be fit for God's call. May we, as kingdom people, be prepared and ready for the persecution that is to come. Amen. We'll share in a closing song.